This is Stan Z Perspectives. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the ninth episode of Stan Z Perspectives, a podcast hosted by the Young Scientist Journal, an international peer reviewed science journal written, reviewed, and produced by students aged 12 to 20. My name is Emma, and I'll be one of your hosts for today's episode. My main interests are biochemistry, physics, and medicine, but I'm always trying to explore new fields as well. And Kushi, your second host for today. My interests are reading books and listening music. We are very excited for today's episode because we are joined by a guest speaker. That's right. For today's episode, we'll be discussing the field of cosmology with our guest, Luna Zagratz a current PhD candidate in physics at Yale University. Luna, thank you for joining us. Before we jump into the episode, would you like to introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about what you do. Sure, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Um, So you nailed it, my name is Luna Zagoritz. Not everybody gets that pronunciation (laughs) correctly, Um, but you did a great job, well done. Uh, And so I am what you might call a particle cosmologist, which means that I think of sort of uh, exotic types of particles that might exist in the universe and how our universe has evolved from its very infancy and the Big Bang to everything that we see around us today. Oh, that sounds really interesting. Um, But these are very niche subjects that I confess I know little about. So could you talk about what they are exactly and what got you interested in the fields of theoretical cosmology, particle astrophysics, and high computer, uh, sorry, high powered computing? Was there a specific experience or event? Sure. Um, so if you zoom out what I am as a physicist, uh, so that's maybe a less niche word. Um, So I didn't grow up wanting to be a physicist. I kind of found physics really boring in high school. I didn't really care that, you know, balls rolled down ramps and how fast and stuff like that. Uh, What I really wanted to be was an archaeologist. And uh, I double majored in anthropology slash archaeology in my undergrad. But I happened to take a physics class my first year sort of looking for a second major or, you know, looking for something a little bit more quantitative or just uh, looking to get rid of a requirement. Uh, And what really happened is that I really, really liked the people there. I liked all of my professors. I liked my fellow students. And so I I stayed for the friends, which is not often what happens uh, or not always what happens in science, I guess. Um, But I, you know, I don't regret it. Uh, and specifically cosmology, I sort of learned about um, sort of by accident. My first research experience was in cosmology at all. I was, uh, it was summer after my second year at my undergrad institution, and I was doing some observational astronomy, which meant that, you know, I pointed a telescope at shiny things and took down some data and stuff like that. Uh, and I hated it. Uh, and I absolutely didn't want to do, do that uh, ever again, which doesn't mean it isn't great. It just means it's not for me. And while sort of thinking about this, I was thinking about what are some really big questions that I wanted to answer. And I was taking these sort of Coursera courses online and, you know, just like reading through things on the internet. And I realized I was, I was really interested in the history of the universe and what really happened in the super early universe, uh, which when I told my friend, she said, oh, my God, you want to do the archaeology of, of the universe, <laughs> which is kind of true. Um, so I guess I've come full circle. <laughs> Um, that sounds very fascinating, really. 
um what inspired you to pursue higher level education through a phd rather than delving into industry or employment after completing your schooling um so that's a that's a great question i don't know that i have a great answer um i sort of you know through my studies i sort of realized that hey i kind of like teaching and i like doing this research and i would like to do more so doing something like a phd makes sense uh another very honest component of that is that i'm an international student in the us <laughs> and so uh you know a 5 year phd comes with 5 years of a guaranteed visa uh or in my case a 6 year phd so that that was also nice uh, so in some <laughs> way it provided me security um in you know in sort of like a different way to, than a job would yeah that's great um how did you get started with your research uh my research at yale Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh also great question. Uh so when I came here, uh there weren't people doing exactly what I wanted to do. I was sort of asking around and probing and looking and there were people doing all sorts of fascinating things, but not quite sort of the very early universe history of the early universe kind of stuff that I wanted to do. Uh and so uh I did what what every self-respecting grad student does, which is I went to my favorite professor and whined about it. Um, and she said, "Well, hey, I know this guy that used to work here. Uh he is now uh he's gone back to New Zealand. He now teaches at the University of Auckland. Um but he's a really great guy and I bet that he would, you know, like help you uh if you asked him. So here's his email, why don't you ask him?" And so I did, and he said, "Yes, I would love to work with you, but you need somebody uh, you know, locally on board uh because this was before the pandemic, not everything was on Zoom and also it's just good to have local support." Uh and so I talked to my other advisor uh here at Yale who was super interested in the project that we ended up doing and the rest is as they say history. Wow, that's <laughs> great. Yeah. Um and currently for your graduate thesis it seems like you're researching HPC simulations and observational signatures of ultralight dark matter. That sounds very complex. So could you talk a little bit about what this work entails and its applications for significance in the real world? Sure, that's a uh, that's a great question. So, uh there's a lot of sort of um there's a lot of jargon to unpack here. Uh so so let's start with dark matter. What is dark matter? Which is sort of like the wide thing that I researched. Uh so there are two ways to measure how much much mass is out there in the universe when you look through like a telescope or something. So one way is that you uh you know look at all the shiny things in the sky and we have equations that tell us okay if a thing is this shiny it probably weighs this much you know this is its mass and so you count up all the shiny things and you calculate what the mass is and you get one number another way is to look up and say oh i'm going to measure how things move because the thing that makes things move is gravity and gravity tells me how much mass there is so if i know how things are moving i can uh, i can tell you how much mass there is and so you do that calculation and you get a different number uh and these no- two numbers are very different one time one number is almost six times larger than the other so dark matter refers to this missing mass in the universe it seems that things move as if there is a lot of mass but we don't see it it's not shiny and so dark matter is the problem of what is this missing mass what what could it be Uh and so we know that it's not anything like what we've seen it can be like a bunch of wooden tables flying out there in space that we just you know don't know about and that don't reflect light it has to be something like new and interesting and exciting in some way or it means that gravity doesn't work the way that we that we think it means which is another exciting possibility 
Um, and so what I do is I take one possible explanation for this missing mass called ultralight dark matter. Uh, and the way to study the thing that you don't see uh, is, or one of the ways to study the thing that you don't see and the, the thing that you can't interact with, you can't just grab a clump of, uh, you know, dark matter and say, who are you? What are you? Let me take you into the lab and put you under a microscope or something like that. So what we do is we write these computer simulations. Um, so we basically simulate the universe in a computer, making certain assumptions, and then we compare it to the universe that we see. Uh, and if they're similar, maybe we know we're on the right track. If they're not good at all, maybe we know that those are bad assumptions. Um, and so what, what we sort of do is like create many universes in our computers and see how much they look like the real universe. And, and that's what I do. Oh, wow. Um, is this like very different from your archaeological work, your work in archaeology? Because like, isn't that very hands-on and like physical versus this, which is like mostly on a computer? Uh, it can be. I also sort of have a project dealing with uh, a new sort of an emerging field of archaeology, which is digital archaeology, or in my case, archaeoastronomy. Uh, so I have this project on Egyptian constellations, where basically there are some texts and primary sources that tell us the names of some Egyptian constellations and what they do in the night sky. But we couldn't point to a star and say, ah, this one is, you know, that star. This one is the star that I know is Sirius. Um, and so what I've done is I've written a little script that simulates sort of, or a little computer code that simulates how uh, stars move across the night sky. This is something that's solved. We know how to do that. And so I can sort of compare that to these primary sources uh, on sarcophagi and papyri and, and tombs and stuff like that. Uh, and sort of like try to make that connection of which stars are these actually and what do these behaviors mean? Um, so that's, that's an example of sort of archeology span that's not very hands-on. Uh, though, yes, when I, <laughs> excuse me, when I did archaeology, I was, you know, much more like dirty in the ground, you know, like sweating <laughs> and, you know, like having to, having to, you know, like wash my shirts three times after before they were white again. So, yeah, that is pretty hands-on. Yeah, these seem like very intriguing topics to learn about and research. So has the COVID-19 pandemic impacted your work in any way? And if so, how? So it hasn't impacted my work in the sense of I don't have a lab that I have to go to that was closed. I don't need, you know, special equipment that was hard to get by. Uh, I just need my laptop and an internet connection and I can do my research from anywhere. Uh, it did impact me a whole lot, though, because I was really far from home um, and, you know, kind of like worried about my parents and about the general state of the world and stuff. So yeah. it didn't cut me off from my research, but it did sort of it did make it really, really hard to focus. Uh, so, so you can definitely, you know, I definitely see the impact on my work, but that's not because like I couldn't physically get to it or, you know, I was missing some key ingredient. It is just because it was really sad. <laughs> wow. It also looks like you have quite a few publications. Do you have any advice for students who are aiming to conduct research in the future and are looking to publish their work? in an academic journal? Uh, sure, well, the number one piece of advice is that, you know, if you if you publish anything before, you know, like the middle of your grad school, you're way ahead of me already. The, you know, my first paper came out towards the end of my third year in grad school, uh, June of that year, I guess. 
Um, so, you know, well done, give yourself a pat on the back. And if you haven't done that already, but feel that there is a clock ticking, there's not. Uh, different fields go at different paces and, and please don't feel bad is sort of the number one piece of advice I have. But for anybody who's maybe in the process of, uh, of you know, writing a paper or trying to publish or interested in publishing in, in you know, your wonderful journal, uh, I think a great piece of advice is don't try to sound smart. Don't use the longest word that the thesaurus spits out at you. Just say clearly what you're trying to say, because often that's the best way to communicate your science. And communication is really a key part of doing science. Yeah, thank you yeah. for those suggestions. Um, and what are your future career goals and how do you want to progress as a researcher? Ah, also great questions. So uh, maybe let me start with the second one. So I will be graduating, knock wood, um, in May. And so next fall, I will be going to uh, the Perimeter Institute for Theoretical Physics, where I will be a postdoc in cosmology. So I'll be uh, on what's called a fellowship, which basically means that I get a paycheck and, and a desk and a computer and they say, hey, there are a lot of you know, cool people around here interested to talk to you, good luck, do what you want. Um, and so that's sort of exciting uh, for my progress as a researcher because it's very being very independent, even more so than a PhD student where you sort of like have an advisor or advisors in my case, and you know, you're always working with the same people, or at least in my case, that's how it went. And so I'm, I'm excited to sort of like strive for that independence and think about more interdisciplinary projects like the one I talked about with sort of Egyptian constellations and digital archaeology and stuff like that. I really think that fascinating things happen at like boundaries and especially at the boundaries of fields. And I think that there's a lot to be said there. Uh, for my future career goals, I, you know, I, at different points in my life, I had sort of like ideas of where I was going and what I would do and what I would become. Uh, and right now, I really don't. Uh, right now, my goal is to sort of really enjoy this next stage of my research career and get some cool research done and meet, you know, talk to some great people and get to hopefully get to travel depending on the health situation and, you know, like expand my own horizons. Uh, and then just see see where that takes me. Maybe I'll be a professor one day, maybe I won't, but I'm open to all possibilities. Yeah, that's really exciting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You have a lot of teaching experience as well, um, such as being involved in curriculum development and lecturing for the Introphysics Bootcamp at Yale. What would you say is the most rewarding part of teaching for you? That's a great question, yeah. Um, so uh, maybe two things in terms of sort of developing a curriculum. I like the creativity. I like sort of the chance to, uh, you know, retroactively explain things to little me that little me didn't understand, you know, X number of years ago. And now I get to teach and sort of explain them maybe in a new way that I think I could have benefited from or that I think my students can benefit from. So I really like the creativity and, and that I like the sort of like openness of it. Uh, and just in general, in terms of teaching, I think it's one of the most rewarding things because research is great and science is great, but sometimes it takes a really long time for you to see the gains of what you're doing. You know, you run an experiment and it takes forever. You have to do 101 analyses, uh, your computer breaks and then you lose, you know, it just, it takes a while. And that doesn't mean it isn't great, but sometimes you can, you know, you can feel yourself going gray waiting for those results to kind of like come back. But teaching isn't like that. You can see in the moment when somebody didn't understand something and you, you know, like, 
sat down and explained it to them. And you can see that sort of like aha moment in their eyes. And I really love that. I think you, you can see yourself making an impact, which is sometimes harder to see with research because it just takes too long. And that's what I really love about teaching. I like that it's sort of like, uh, it, it gives you, you know, professional satisfaction in like a shorter time scale. Oh, that's, that's really great. Nice. Have you thought about um, ever being like a professor or going into teaching as a career? Uh, I have, yeah, actually. So, uh, you know, I was considering for my next step taking a te what's called a teaching postdoc, where I would be teaching 50% of my time and doing research 50% of my time. Uh, I had a great opportunity offer. Uh, unfortunately, I couldn't take two offers. So I, I ended up with my Perimeter Institute offer instead, um, just because it worked out better for me, but I'm definitely interested in, in having teaching be a component in my life. And there are many ways to teach, you know, even if you're not a teacher or a professor, um, though I'm also, I'm also open to that. Okay. Um, and apart from teaching, you are also involved in science communications through writing for Astrobytes, an astrophysical literature journal that presents one interesting paper a day in a way that's accessible to undergraduates in the physical sciences. I know that a lot of students, including myself, are looking for more ways to participate in science writing. So how did you find this opportunity and what do you enjoy most about it? Yeah, also a great question. So I have to say that joining Astrobates has been one of the best moves that I've done in graduate school. I really, really love the collaboration. Uh, because it is just that it's very collaborative. It's a bunch of grad students who, you know, like we're all very busy and we have all of our own experiments running and whatever. Uh, but we're all very excited to sort of like get together and support each other uh, and write together and make science a little bit more um, accessible. So, uh, you know, I love writing. I, I love, you know, like getting to read papers and think, oh, how would I explain this to, to someone else? Uh, but mostly, I just have to say, I love the community. Shout out to absolutely everybody in Astrobytes. They, you know, they've made my graduate career so much brighter. And I highly, highly recommend uh, for anybody interested in science, you know, especially around the undergraduate level, maybe check out Science Bytes, which is sort of like the amalgam of all of these sites, you know, so there's ChemBytes, there's Particle Bytes, you know, there's all of these sort of like science um, websites that sort of uh, summarize papers. Uh, in terms of how I found the opportunity, I just happened to know about the website um, through word of mouth or social media or something. I don't actually remember how I first heard about it, uh, but I was I always had it in the back of my mind that I'd really love to join one day. And I was always sort of like looking for a call for new authors uh, that I now know comes out in November, but then I didn't know when it comes out. Uh, and when it finally, you know, came out, I was like, aha, I'm ready. I was ready to pounce. Uh, and you know, thankfully, they liked my application. And I've been writing for them since. So I'm graduating now. So unfortunately, I'm off the rotation. Uh, but I'm still on the Slack and still involved in the community. Okay. Um, so you are involved in teaching, science communication, research, and community outreach. Very impressive, by the way. How are you able to balance all of these responsibilities? Um, do you have any suggestions for an aspiring scientist who might be worried about the work-life balance in this field? Yeah, that's that's a very good question. And uh, yeah, unfortunately, once again, I don't have a great answer. Uh, so, you know, the answer is I don't always balance them. Sometimes I drop things and sometimes I feel bad about dropping things. You know, we're all, we're all human after all. And, you know, we yeah. also need time to be human. 
Uh, and that's that's okay, no matter how much you know people around you or or above you or even below you seem to have it all together and be doing you know five times the things you are or something like that. We're all just doing the best we can, and we're all struggling. And attention is a finite resource, and you should treasure yours. Um, so my suggestions for aspiring scientists, you know, maybe something that I would um, that I would sort of tell my younger self, maybe going into grad school or going into undergrad or something like that is, you know, be, be protective of your time and know what things are you're doing because you actually love them and they give you something. Maybe they give you some energy, even if they take energy to sort of like do, you know, like it takes energy to write an astrobite, but afterwards, you know, you're so happy when it's out there and like, ultimately it's a positive experience. Uh, and, you know, know when you're doing things because you should, versus because you actually actually want you be really really honest for yourself and learn the extremely magic word no uh you don't have to grab every opportunity that somebody gives you and sometimes that's hard to remember if you ha you know if you had one period in your life maybe you didn't have a lot of opportunities and then they start coming and it seems sort of ungrateful to say no to anything uh, but there's only there's only one of you and you are precious whoever you are and your time is precious and you need to you need to figure out what level of sort of protection you can afford yourself and what are the things that you won't compromise on. And you'll get it wrong sometimes. And, you know, that's that's OK. This is really good advice. It's definitely important to prioritize. Yeah. Yeah. Adding on to that point. Yeah. I was just going to say and just have grace for yourself if you you know, you're you're balancing a lot of things in the air and you drop one just be nice to yourself. Have grace for yourself. It, it happens. Sorry to cut you off. No, no. Um, adding on to that point, what does a day in the life of a PhD student looks like? Oh, it's a. I mean, it kind of depends on the the year, the time of year, the day. Um, so for uh, so for me, um, you know, depending on what day of the week it is, I might get up early and go to the gym. I might lounge in bed and get up slightly later and not go to the gym, um, depending on how I'm feeling that day. I usually, you know, get up, make some coffee, make breakfast. I run on coffee and breakfast. Um, go to the office or, you know, go to my desk if maybe it's a work from home day, uh, especially with, with COVID and everything. Uh, try to, you know, like, check my email, try to make a list of things that I really want to get done that day, uh, inevitably fail to get some of those things done because an urgent email will come in or yeah, a request from my advisor or a meeting will pop up or something like that. Uh, but it's sort of, you know, having having some meetings, uh, maybe having a class or teaching a class, depending on what level you are, and trying to sort of carve out time to sit down and focus on research. Uh, because that is the thing that's easiest to kind of like put aside, despite that being the main thing that you're there. Because everything has an end. You answer an email and it's done. It's answered. It's off your to-do list. You you have a problem set or a homework set or something. You finish it and then it's finished and you never have to worry about it again. But research doesn't have really a natural end. Research is over when you say this is good enough. And that's a line that you might find yourself stretching over and over and over. Um, so it's easier to kind of like have your brain want to do the things that you can check off your list because that gives you a little dopamine rush and you feel happy that something is off your list. Um, so, you know, depending on the day, uh, it can look differently. These days, my days are mostly uh, writing my thesis and getting it done because it's due, it's due pretty soon and I defend it pretty soon. So it's, it's all about that. And also going to my friends' thesis defenses because they're also defending and graduating, which is exciting.
Yeah. As a PhD candidate. Oh, sorry. I just had another question. As a PhD candidate, do you have to take any courses or is it just research? So it depends from place to place and program to program. Uh, So in my program, you do and you have to take quite a few classes, actually. So I took classes, I took a lot of classes first and second year, and then maybe just one per semester in my third year. I took more classes than most, a lot of them willingly. Uh, I mean, they were, they were electives, I didn't have to take them, but at least for the first year, year and a half, we have to take classes. Uh, but there are, uh, there are programs that aren't like that. There are programs that say, you know, like you have to take six classes, we don't care what they are. There are programs that say you have to take 10 classes and these classes exactly. And then there are programs that say you have to take no classes, you just have to pass an exam. Um, it really, really depends. Oh, okay, I see. Um, last question, what advice do you have for young scientists wanting to pursue a career or scientific research in these fields? Oh boy, I'm always I'm always a little intimidated by these questions because it's such an excellent question. And also I'm so worried of saying the wrong thing or like not saying the best thing. Um, but yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of call back to an earlier comment, which is that just just remember to be kind to yourself throughout the process. Um, being a scientist or being an academic in general, I think going, you know, uh, pursuing a PhD or anything like that, it, it's hearing a lot of no's. Um, you know, like you, you have to apply for maybe a lot of grant funds. You don't always get the grant. You maybe have to apply to a lot of grad schools. Uh, I applied to 13. I got into one. So I heard 12 no's and, you know, like some, some of them kind of hurt my feelings. Um, you know, and it, it can be, it can be hard, but try to distinguish for yourself when it's hard because, you know, science is hard. You're creating new knowledge, creating new knowledge is hard and that's okay. Uh, And when it's hard because, you know, systemic organizations are making it hard for you. uh, And maybe that's not something that's worth your time. So, again, sort of like be very, be collegial, you know, be, be collaborative. Talk to, talk to the people around, trying to necessarily schmooze the like more successful people that are at the next stage from wherever you are. Because guess what? If you're a scientist tomorrow, those people, your friends, they're going to be the people you collaborate with. Um, and so it's just, it's a nicer experience all around if people are sort of friendly and collegial. And also that will be, you know, that will be their cohort and that will be your support system. Definitely, Definitely prioritize having a support system and doing the things that make you feel make you feel good about yourself or your science, even if they don't always feel good, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, any experience or last words you would like to share with us before we close? Um, boy, I wish I'd prepared something really deep and meaningful. Uh, just that it's been, uh, it's been really awesome to get this invite. It really, really made my day when I got Emma's email. Um, and thanks so much for having me. And I really, I really love that you all are doing this. This is so great. Well, thank you for taking the time to talk to us. This was really informative and interesting. Um, and I love to hear about your entire story because you had such a variety of experiences. Um, so for all our listeners, studying the field of cosmology may sound daunting, but it has many compelling aspects and important applications that can be exciting to explore. I couldn't agree more. We hope all of you enjoyed the interview and learned something about astrophysics pursuing a PhD or the scientific research process in general. 
Thank you so much for listening and keep an eye out for the next episode of STEM Z Perspectives. You can find out more about the journal on our website and our social media handles, which will be linked in the description. Goodbye, everyone.